0: Good evening to you. Good to have you here, joining us for the middle of the week. Time of refreshing, time of coming together in prayer. Um, how much we need prayer, and through prayer we show our trust and our dependency on God. Some sometimes it's portrayed in by different people that we we. Uh, we force God to do something through prayer, and that—that that is not the case. Um, God is sovereign, but in His sovereign way. In other words, He's in control. He does as He pleases. He does what He does to fulfill His will. And the Bible reminds us many times to pray according to His will. Any prayer—that's why we use that phrase in Jesus' name. It's—it's it's through, it's through jesus that we have the the right to pray and when we pray we're praying that well jesus taught us how to pray in the lord's prayer our father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven in other words god is doing his perfect will in heaven he's kicked out all unrighteousness there uh, all sin there and he is completing his will on earth too um and uh so we are to pray according to that will not our will not our will but but his will be done and that's how you test yourself um uh, we need times where we just come to god and ask him to purge us of our, our 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 thinking that's not in line with his his will maybe it's just our timing that's not in line with his will but whatever it is we need to submit to to his will we were singing that song i surrender all i surrender all and i was thinking about that in terms of how we um in our prayer time we were saying lord let it be done according to your will in our new membership class this this uh past sunday we were talking about forgiveness just had a brief discussion on that and forgiveness is doing just that surrendering this this these circumstances, this moment, even this person who sinned against us, surrendering that to God and say, God, you take care of that according to your will. I, I take my hands off of it, and I'll let you do it because I know you handle, it, um, you handle it best. We were talking on Sunday um, about communing with God, sweet communion. And in that, in that chapter, in chapter 33 of Exodus, we see Moses communing with God. And God's saying, I won't walk with these people uh, because they're stiff-necked. They are rebellious. They they are not following me. Um, And yet God communed to some degree with Moses, and it shows that he wants to commune with us. Um, Look at where that started. I just want to take you briefly to to Genesis chapter 3. And here we see where communion was broken. It was broken because of sin. Um, It tells us after Adam and Eve sinned that they hid themselves in the garden. God was approaching the garden and they heard God coming and they hid. Think of how devastating, how dramatic that was. We don't know how much time went on between that sixth day when Adam and Eve were, were made and created, and how long did they live in, a, in the garden? But they lived under this, this beautiful uh, relationship they had with God. It said God will come to the garden. It says in the cool of the day. Um, he would just come, and he looked forward to Fellowshipping, communing with Adam and Eve, and apparently there was a practice of doing that. Like I said, we don't know how, t- how long that took place, but there was a pattern of this, and now all of a sudden, for the first time, this pattern is broken. I'm sure you've experienced some brokenness in a relationship. May- maybe it's just minor. You come, and that person that you normally get along with For some reason you're not talking or there's a strained and uneasiness feeling when you come together nobody knows what to say or it's hard to to communicate now because that relationship is strained something has caused that strain with adam and eve we see what caused it but we we notice the strain itself it says in verse 8 of chapter 3 of genesis They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It's amazing. For the first time, they hid themselves. They did not look forward to and enjoy the fellowship with God. The The very next verse says this. I read from the ESV, and there's that, that conjunction that, that joins these two verses together, but it's a contrasting conjunction. But, they hid themselves, but, but the Lord God called to the man. In other words, it was the sin of Adam and Eve that separated them from God, but it's God who approached them. They didn't come to God and say, we did something wrong. We want to be renewed in our relationship with you. What can we do? No, God approached them. And he confronts and addresses this. But you have to recognize he's doing this for the sake of reconciliation, bringing this relationship back to where it should be. So he says to Adam, where are you? Where are you? I always God's questions are always intriguing because you know he doesn't ask a question to gain knowledge. He he knows everything. So he's not trying to understand something better or get a perspective that he didn't have or for us to tell him something new. Adam, where are you? So the question is for Adam. What's happened, Adam? What's changed? Why this time when I come to commune with you, you hide yourself. The key in all the scripture that we ignore is sin. I shouldn't say we all, we ignore, but we, we often overlook and too often ignore is this, this thing of sin. In the world today, we want to blame sin on everything else but ourselves. And we want to think that we can have a better society by doing everything but dealing with the the very raw nature of our sinful heart. That heart that turns against God. Turns against the very one that created us and has dominion over us. We fail to surrender that to him. And in prayer we cannot pray to God without that surrender and that acknowledgement and we pray that's why we pray according to his will when we're when we're not surrendering that we are trying to direct the genie in a bottle tell him what to do when he is our creator and we will have right communion when we recognize he's the one and give the command we are the one and we are at peace with him we're surrendering what is truly his. We get into a place in Exodus where the Bible says God is a jealous God. Um, uh, I had a, a young man who was, I didn't meet with him or talk to him personally, but through talking to his grandmother, I understand he's going through some troubling times, and, and uh, he's, he's having some real, um, just some uh, mental issues. And one of the questions he asks is, why is God a jealous God? And what he's fighting, I don't know all that he's fighting against, but there's this sense of I'm not admitting and submitting to God in control. God is a jealous God because he demands what is his, what is rightfully his, and he won't give you that right to have it and to do as you please with it. He won't let you be at peace with that. You will never be at peace until you surrender to the jealous God. In other words, to the God who zealously goes after what is his. Guess what's his? Me. You. His creation belongs to him. And he has a right to that. And that's true from our perspective. We won't be right until we surrender his right. And we won't have right relationship with him until we do that. Now, as Christians, when I talk to, to Christians, we need to remember that Christ has resolved that sin problem for us. But we need to continue to recognize that our, our fellowship and our relationship with him, with God, is dependent on us trusting Christ and walking in Christ, walking under that admission uh, uh, of sinfulness, under that admission of guilt, under that admission of God is sovereign; it's Him in control, and that, it's me who needs to surrender that. So we walk under that, and uh, um, so First John chapter one kind of highlights that. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's God who does that cleansing, and he brings us back in right fellowship and communion with him. So believers, our sin has been cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Now we need to walk daily in that communion with God, recognizing what he's done, recognizing what what we have is through Christ and uh, surrendering and submitting to to him on a regular basis. In other words, going back to the garden, garden, God wants to commune with us every day. It's not like, okay, I wash you, I cleanse you, you cool, we don't need to talk anymore. No, I wash you, I cleanse you so that we can commune and talk and, and, and connect on a regular and on a daily basis. So as we pray today, think about maintaining that relationship with God. The same way you started it by trusting Christ, by confessing sin, by surrendering to God's sovereignty, and walk in that. Continue our meditation
1: through the Book of Hebrews. As it is said today, if you hear His voice, you're not harden your hearts as in rebellion. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? With whom was he provoked 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? To whom did he swore that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Interesting. This passage, you know, you know I love my saying. One of my sayings is the big view is the best view. When you're looking at a book, what is the book of Hebrews about? Anybody remember the three things the book of Hebrews is about? Remember the three Three ages. All right. Explain the three ages for us. Okay. Ages. That's another thing that it's about. It's three things that this book is about. If you could put them in a sentence, you know everything about this book. That's a point, a subsequent point, but it's not the whole focus. That is pointing us towards who? Jesus, right? Jesus, the Christ. That's the second focus about this book, right? And I believe it does go in that order. The three ages, then there's Christ. We learn a lot about Christ in this book. What is the main focus? should we do now that we know about Christ? It's to believe. Right? It is to believe. So those are the three focuses of the book of Hebrews. Every section is about one of those three. Often sections have all of those three in it just in different priorities. What do you think is the main focus of this section believing how does he talk about believing he talks about unbelieving unbelieving and he says this the Holy Spirit says now it's interesting because if we had not read the rest of scripture and we come to this part we start to realize the Old Testament is inspired by the Holy Spirit because who does he quote? Does he quote David? He doesn't quote David. Does he quote Asaph? He doesn't quote ASAP. He doesn't quote the psalmist. He quotes the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says. When did the Holy Spirit, the Spirit say this? In the age in the past. Where is he speaking? He is speaking to us today. Why is he speaking to us today? So that we might have hope in the age... Says, if you hear His voice, now the book of Hebrews is talking about the fact that we hear His voice today. Whose voice are we hearing? Is Jesus? The book of Hebrews is giving us a revelation about the book of Exodus, and the revelation is this: when they didn't listen to the Lord, the Lord that they didn't listen to was Jesus. He said, if you do, if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts what does it mean to harden your hearts that's a good meditation point what does it mean to harden your hearts well you know the brother's not here so I can kind of use him as an example um, you know I was teaching Sunday school just this last Sunday I said hey would anybody want to give a summary and this is a guy who was enjoying the class I said you want to give it he was hard in his heart was I asking too much? You come in here for free. It sound old for me to say it, but it was a good word. And you come in here and you hear the truth of God's word. And then somebody asks you to do something, and you go, I don't know if I can do that. That's too much to ask. Is it too much to ask? It's not too much for me to ask you to die. The Lord. Much less give up and give a quick summary for 15 seconds. That's not too much to ask. But he hardened his heart. You know, there's lots of different ways people harden their hearts. Sometimes I'll be leading Sunday school, I'll say, hey everybody, move up to the first few rows. Why well, I gotta do that. That's hard in your heart. You just don't want to do it. Get all hard. You physically get hard. If you actually were to put your arms on somebody's muscles when they are not listening, their muscles get harder. There was a boy in church, I can't remember which boy it was, but when he wouldn't listen, he would turn stiff as a board. This is not long ago. And I'm like, what's going on? What's wrong, man? He just couldn't move. He was so stiff. He was literally like a board. Why was he being like a board? Because he was being stubborn, and his body was replicating the mental state or his spiritual state. He had become hardened. We can become hardened. And the best science to wonder if you're hardened is look at other things. You might say, "Is my mind hardened?" My mind's not hardened. Well, one, check your pulse. When you hear what I what somebody asked you to obey, right? Can you do it? Do you stiffen up? You feel your body stiffen up? You feel yourself getting tense? You feel yourself getting stressed? You might be getting hard. How are you talking? Are you talking in soft tones or are you talking in harsh tones? You might be getting hard. Nobody really knows if they've been hardened unless they've been asked to obey. Here's the thing. That's why this church at home culture that we have in this country is so poisonous. Because it, what it does is it lets people delude themselves into thinking that they are perfectly obeying God because they never have to run into anybody with a bad attitude. They never have to go to church sick. They never have to do any sacrifices. They never have to do anything. People, they purposefully do stay out of ministries because they don't want to have conflict with people. They don't want to get into church politics and all that stuff could it be could it be that God put those difficulties in front of us to see if we would obey could it be that you're supposed to go to church and run people people with bad attitudes I know it's a surprise but maybe somebody might be called to deal with your bad attitude too and not lead a church and gracefully answer you so then on the opposite It could be the same for you. Somebody got a bad attitude. They always mean mugging you. Could it be that you're called to show the love of God to that person in church? How shocking could that be? It's amazing. We worship a sacrificial God, a God who sacrificed himself for others, but oftentimes we are unwilling to give and call ourselves Christians. That's a shame. I hear people saying so much about their mental health. And what I hear when I talk, people talk about mental health is I'm too selfish to lose anything of value, even brain cells for you. How dare I put myself under any extra stress to deal with your mess? Nope, nope, my mental health, mental health, mental health. Mental health is an excuse not to help people. It's a shame. Mental health should be a reason to help people, but it becomes an excuse not to because we know when we help other people, the Bible says you share their burdens. And people know that. So what they do is they moralize psychology and put it above the Bible. And it ain't got to help nobody. You know, it's another buzzword people got. People is toxic. My relationship was toxic. The church was toxic. Everything toxic, everything toxic. Why is everything toxic? So you don't have to touch it. Because how dare you touch poison? That would just be stupid. Could it be that God is calling you to touch the sick like Jesus touched the sick? To touch the leper like Jesus touched the leper, knowing that it's contagious? Could it be that you are called to deal with somebody who might be sick and don't got a mask and to deal with them and to help them, you might get sick. Is that too much to ask? To serve the Lord? Is it too much to ask? A lot of people ask that question. well you know, are you asking people they were saying this a couple years ago when COVID was going on. you asking people to spread diseases? to jump through hoops with him with that, but now I just want to say yes. 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 You might have to pay a cost to be a Christian. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your sickness and follow me. Take up your stress and follow me. Correct somebody else's kid and follow me. Deal with somebody else's problem and follow me. Follow me. But take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away. So easy it is for us to fall away. That's why it's so important for us to take every chance to be faithful. I always say the church will always be open. If I go down or if Dad go down, somebody else needs to come in here and open it up. Everybody can't always make it, I understand. But it's going to be open just so somebody can have an exercise of showing faithfulness. It's shocking to me how much I can slip as a Christian just missing a Wednesday service. just not reading my Bible one day. It's shocking to me how sometimes I can go through a day and be like, I didn't even pray today. And I'm one of the leaders. That's a shame. But it's easy for us to get into patterns of falling away. And so, we must believe. We must believe believing is not something you just did once back in the day when you was a young Christian. Believing is something that we have to do every day. Because we always have to fight our own hard hearts. Amen.